You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, is where we'll be this morning. Paul is rounding out his letter to the Galatians, which means our series is almost done. And Paul has been reminding them and us of key realities in life. Remember, the Galatians, they are barreling toward legalism, thinking that Jesus and something I do, that's really going to make sure I'm saved. And then some of them are also tempted to the pendulum swing to the other side of the ditch of license, that, hey, do whatever you want, grace abounds, who cares? But neither one is real Christianity. Paul's message to them is don't trade unrighteousness for self-righteousness and don't trade self-righteousness for unrighteousness. Don't leave worshiping Diana and Caesar and paganism for legalism, but go with Christ's righteousness. Go with Christ alone, nothing else. And go with it. Christianity, what the Bible about must learn and what we must discover yet again is that to be a Christian isn't just to sign on the dotted line of of faith and then move on and, and never walk with Christ again. Authentic Christianity is a life of radical grace. Real Christianity is a complete upheaval of your life, a reorganizing a renewal, and a reset with the risen Christ. And that's what Paul shows us today, how the actions of radical grace work in us and what you should expect when you live a life of radical grace. And what you sow is what you reap. What you sow is what you reap. And today you will be, at the end of your life, you will either be a grim reaper or you will be a grace reaper. And you decide. So as you do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll begin in verse seven. And our brother Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit and the authority of Christ, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now to not grow tired weary of doing good for all and especially for co-heirs in the kingdom of Christ. Help us now, King Jesus, to know what it means to reap and to sow in the spirit. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you've said the phrase before, I owe you one. I owe you one. Maybe you've said that to a brother or sister in Christ. You know, that makes sense in the world, owing people favors, but not in the church. There is no karma in the local church. 
There is no, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine when the time comes. We don't do good for others wondering if it'll boomerang back, if it's worth it. Paul tells us about the dynamic of doing good for others and how we live. And here's what he warns the Galatians and here's how he warns us today. One is that don't fool yourself. You can't fool God. Don't deceive yourself. You cannot fool God. Look at verse seven. Look what he tells them in us. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Paul gives a stern warning here. A call for everyone to wake up. Don't be tricked by your own thinking and the smooth talk of other people. God will not be turned into a mockery the way you live and what's coming for you at the end of your life. Listen, here's what this verse is teaching us. And this is very important. We don't live in some impersonal universe. We are not floating in space, running the show, doing whatever we want without any consequences. This verse is telling you and me right here that there is behind all of this and before all of this came into existence, God is there that the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God is here and he will not be mocked. Literally, this phrase means turn your nose up at. You cannot turn your nose up to God and his promises and his testimonies and his salvation and think you'll get away with it. You might think you will and you may think you have because God hasn't gotten you yet. Paul says, don't be deceived. The time is coming. Look at what he says next. Don't be deceived. Why? For whatever, verse seven, a person sows, he will also reap. You will reap what you sow. You cannot escape the judgment, the verdict, the all-seeing eye of the almighty God. Now, this sounds like karma. Oh, this is not karma. This is just reality in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is giving us a picture of agriculture that we all know to be true, but for some reason, we don't think it's true about the soil of our hearts and our lives. That what you sow, what you plant, what you seed into your life, you will reap it. It's unavoidable. Even though the harvest and growth may be slow, it will sprout, it will bloom, and you will have to put it in your basket. You cannot outwit God. You can't pull a fast one on Jesus. No one has ever bluffed him. No one has ever snuck one past him. And if you think you have, like I'm I'm totally getting away with this. It's just on a time delay. Judgment day is coming. Because look at verse eight, look. Why? Because the one who sows, puts seeds to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. That's the first kind of soil in seeds. Second one, but... One who sows to the spirit, sows seeds of the spirit, the way of the spirit and the soil of the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. There are only two types of soils and two types of seeds though you will throw into your life. The flesh, sin, or the spirit, the way of Christ. Where and what you sow is what you get. Listen, I've had a salsa garden before, one time. That's how well it went. We planted a jalapeno plant. Do you know what I expected to get from it? Jalapenos. 
I'd be a fool if I went up there and saw the little jalapeno sprout coming out and I yelled at it because I thought I was gonna get banana peppers. No, it's a jalapeno plant. That is what I get. If you plant sunflower seeds, what are you gonna get? Sunflowers. This is groundbreaking stuff, I know. But here's Paul's point. We make a disconnect in our lives. We think I'll just so sin, so sin, so sin. What? Why is my life a wreck now? Paul says, because you're a fool. Because only a fool plants sunflower seeds and gets mad because he wanted knockout roses. What you sow is what you get. Paul says, we are fooling ourselves if we think sowing seeds of sin over and over and over won't result in your life being a wreck. And some of you today, you are dealing with the devastation of your sins, but you don't even call them sins. I made bad choices. I made some bad decisions. Unwise choices were made. Circumstances just didn't play out. No, friend, you sow to the flesh. You sowed all the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Envy, sexual morality, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, bitterness, resentment, pride. And you watered it. You gave it sunlight. You gave it oxygen. You pruned it. You talked to it. And guess what you got? Destruction. Seeds turn into trees, plants. This is what Paul's telling us. Little things turn into giant things. Unnoticed sins become scandals. Little glances of someone who's not your spouse wants to become adultery. Occasional drinking too much wants to snowball into you being an alcoholic. Little racist remarks among friends Sentences that start with, I'm sorry, but Mexicans and Chinese, that turns into hatred, betrayal, murder. And here's how crazy, how crazy the soil of the flesh and sin is. Ignoring it is the best fertilizer around. Ignoring the bitterness you have in your marriage is not helping it. You're fertilizing it downplaying the anger and addictions you maintain and acting like the mega jerk you are in your family. That is just a mirage. It's no big deal. That's just accepted. You are dumping manure on it to be PG. You aren't stifling it. Sin grows best like mold in dark, ignored areas of our home and life. And if it isn't ever rooted out, and treated with that crucified herbicide of our risen Christ, then eternal destruction is what you will reap. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. This is Paul's point. Because look at what verse eight. Look, what does he contrast? Destruction from the flesh with what? Eternal life in the spirit. And that word destruction here is literally for a decaying corpse. The smells, sights, and sounds of a decomposing body. Paul says, this is what you will get. Hell is what you will reap because God is not mocked. Don't think you can do whatever you want and God doesn't care. He cares. And listen, 
God actually cares more than you do. God is not tricked. You can trick me like dozens have before. And you can trick other pastors here too. You can make a mockery of your small group leader. You can make a mockery of your Christian friends. But the only person in the universe that refuses to be mocked, that refuses to be tricked by your shenanigans is the Savior. So Paul says, don't deceive yourself thinking you can trick a God. Bible Belt religion thinks they can trick God. Bible Belt religion says, I can go to church. Everything will be fine. God and I are okay. Jesus says, think again. Because I am the Lord. And when you come to me, this means that you pick up your cross daily and that your whole life now is in my sphere. I am not just one board member of your life. I fired the board of your life and I lead you. And you walk with me and you honor me and you obey me, you worship me. And you don't throw seeds of sin in the soil of the flesh now. So listen, if you have a life that never stops sowing seeds of, in the soil of sin, don't be deceived and think you're gonna reap something different. Paul says you will reap destruction. So I need you to get this picture in your mind. Get the movie scene in your mind. There you are in a field holding a basket filled with seeds. And you walk out into the field that has your name on it. My field, here we are. And you're throwing seeds, lust, envy, anger, bitterness, resentment, pride, gluttony, drunkenness, throwing, throwing, throwing. Time goes by. Everything's fine, no big deal, no consequences, no pain, nothing's happening yet. But then the trumpet blares. It's time to reap what you've sown. It's time to harvest. So, great. You pick up your basket, you go out to your fields, and you are horrified by what you see. Everything's rotten, putrid, disgusting. This can't be my field. This, this can't be, I mean, I, I did other things, and you look at your name, this is my field. Well, I don't wanna reap that. You know what the Bible says? You will reap. He will reap. You must. You are forced to. In this scenario, there is no other grim reaper. You become your own grim reaper. Or you have to collect what you've sown. And you have to put it in your basket, all that rotted, moldy, putrid fruit of sins. And you stand before God and you show him your hall. And he says, destruction, hell. Don't think your life choices don't matter. Your life actually reveals what matters to you. Now, listen, the testimony of the book of Galatians is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. No doubt. This is not contrary to everything else Paul is saying. What Paul is telling us is that people who are saved by grace live by grace. Salvation is seen in our lives. The way you live doesn't save you. You must hear that. The way you live doesn't save you, but the way you live shows if you are saved or not. 
which soil you are sowing in. Because beloved, the people who are saved by Jesus, they live for Jesus. They see their seed pile change. Has your seed pile changed? Sowing different seeds now than you used to. Sowing not as many of the others. Not sowing as many in the flesh, but now the fruit of the spirit of also Galatians 5. You're sowing love, joy, and and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, and and good works, and repentance from sin, and, and loving your neighbor. Paul says, if you have done that, you should expect a harvest of eternal life. Paul says that is, you will be a reaper of grace. If you've been united to Christ by his death and resurrection, now your life, you are sowing seeds of the spirit. As Galatians 2.20 promises, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But now Christ who lives in me, because the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You become a grace reaper because when that harvest day comes, the people who sowed in the spirit, the ones who have been born again with the son of God, they reap eternal life, as Paul says. You will reap eternal life from the spirit. This isn't karma. This is just how the kingdom of God works and how people in the kingdom of God live. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom, the people who sow to the flesh. Do not be deceived, same phrase. Don't be duped. Don't be confused by what the Bible Belt says. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, nor thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this but your seed pile changed. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul tells them, you used to be like this. What happened? Oh, I I started going to church more. No. Oh, I tried to be a really good person. No. No. How did their seed pile change? How did their soil change? They were washed, cleansed, born again, justified, declared righteous in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. They believed. Have you? Have you looked at your sowing and your life and your sins and admit this is problematic to my eternity? But then you see them put on Jesus on the cross that when that cross of Christ, that Roman bloodstained cross was slammed into that Jerusalem soil, that also all of your sowing of sins was also tossed on Jesus as well. And that all of the reaping of unrighteousness that was meant to be yours, Jesus said, I will gather it all. I will glean from your fields of sin and I will reap a harvest of wrath on me for you. And then now you have full permission to glean, not just from the corners of my field, but you can have it all. You can have my righteousness now. This is what Jesus offers us for people who have sown sin, people who we have totally mismanaged our lives. Jesus says, reap my righteousness. I'll give you my perfect life. All you must do is believe. 
And if you will trust in Jesus, listen, there will be no grim reaping for your sin. It's all been reaped by Christ. He's been judged for it all. And he rose again from the dead saying, you can be saved. You can be declared righteous. This is why Paul says, Christians don't be deceived. We don't continue to cast our wild oats. Jesus died for them. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ died to set you free from sin. So now we sow to the spirit. Now we put effort in casting seeds and, and throwing away the seeds of the flesh and now throwing in seeds of the spirit because Christ is alive in us. This is the Christian life. And, and here's what I know about the Christian life. It's hard. This is hard work. Living by faith is not what the Bible Belt teaches. It is not cruise control. It is not autopilot. Grace is anti-earning. That is the message of Galatians. You cannot earn anything from God, but grace is not anti-effort. Opening your Bible, praying, turning from sin, serving others, love. Grace is anti-earning, but grace is not anti-effort. So we must all crucify the uberization of Christianity. We put in effort for living for his glory. Look what Paul says to Timothy. I want you to notice these three three jobs, professions, Paul likens to the Christian life. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to get share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Three jobs, like into the Christian life. Soldier, athlete, and farmer. These are all super easy things anyone can do. No. Soldier must be vigilant or he will die. The athlete must sacrifice and sweat or he will lose. The farmer must be diligent and dependent on forces outside of himself. And so is the Christian life. If you are not vigilant, you will die. You keep sowing seeds to the flesh. Paul says, don't trick yourself. You're probably not born again. If you don't make sacrifices, crucify your flesh, pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. If you don't compete according to the rules, the way of the master, you will lose. The hardworking farmer dependent and diligent on God. These are hard things. And the connection here is that, you know what's easy? Sin. I, I am obsessed with sour candy. I have a problem. I'm irrational. I don't care how many cavities I get from it. I can get new teeth later. I lose my mind when I see Sour Patch Kids and sour worms and sour jelly beans. I'm a mess. It takes no effort for me to grab a handful and to gain weight. I am a pro. If you need to gain weight, talk to me. <laughs> but it takes so much effort and discipline to say no. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, they know this. And we must be vigilant, working hard to sow to the spirit. Because sowing to the flesh takes no effort. That is where you will drift by default. It takes no effort. That's just where you will go. But grace 
energizes us forward. Grace, this is Paul's second insight for us, is that we will go forward. Grace gatorades us forward to do good for others and for the glory of Christ. Look at verse nine. That's where Paul takes us. Let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Listen, so Paul says, don't get tired of sowing to the spirit. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of living the Christian life because it's so easy when it's new, isn't it? When you, get, when you first became a Christian, easy to read the Bible, easy to show up to church, easy to pray, easy to serve. Then time goes on and it gets boring, doesn't it? Your, your zeal begins to fade. It was exciting to read. It was exciting to pray. It was exciting to first visit the sick when you started doing that or to serve at the pregnancy center or to serve at the Kairos prison ministry that we do or to love your neighbor or even serving in the kids ministry. You were so excited at the beginning to, to go to a small group. But then as the great theologian B.B. King tells us, the thrill is gone. <laughs> Things get old and routine. Paul says, fight the drift. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. You know why? Look at what he says. Because of the future. For we will reap at the proper time. If we don't give up, you will reap a harvest. You have a reward coming. So listen, listen. Do not serve in the kids and, and love your neighbor and do good for other people for Facebook for a cool picture on Instagram or so that one of your pastors will see it and pat you on the back. A lot of times Christians do that. I might see it. I may not. Kevin, Barry, Skip, Brad, they may see it. They may not. 90% of your doing good will go unnoticed by another human being. And so what? The Lord sees you. The Lord sees your sacrifices. The Lord sees your prayers. The Lord sees your love and good for others, and he loves it. Jesus warns you about serving for the reward now in Matthew 6 when he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. You're doing good in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. You can either reap your praise now or from the Father. So whenever you give to the poor, serve at the pregnancy center, pray with a friend, Serve at the prison ministry. Don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Look forward. Go back to the future. I have a reward to come. I will reap at the proper time, not at the improper time, but from the Father. You know, we all want immediate gratification. All, every single one of us, we want immediate gratification. That's why Netflix exists. I mean, kids today have it so easy. They don't understand what it's like to wake up on Saturday, every Saturday at 7 a.m. and wait for your favorite cartoon to come on. No, I'll just binge watch all of Phineas and Ferb today. What a life. This is why microwaves exist. Instant gratification, Instapots, which are crazy. You shouldn't be able to cook a whole chicken in 45 seconds. That doesn't make sense. And this is, we all want immediate gratification. And this is what Paul's telling us. You can have immediate gratification in knowing your future. Right now, today, 
you can find immediate gratification and knowing the reward that comes with faith in Christ. We don't live for today. We don't live for the moment. We live toward eternal life to come, that there is a reality beyond what we see in the here and now. So don't check out. This is what Paul's saying. Don't check out. Have you? Have you grown tired of doing good? And I know some of us, we've been in church for decades, and this especially applies to the older saints. Keep going. Sometimes I hear, oh, I've, just, I've done my time. No, you have not. I, I've been doing this for years. It's, I'm just gonna check out a little bit. No, that is to disobey Christ. If Jesus had work, if you were done with the work for Christ, you wouldn't be here. You are alive because you still have work to do. So don't grow tired in doing good for others. Go forward. In verse 10, how? Therefore, here's why. As we have opportunity, as they show up in our face, on our porch, in our living room, next to our cubicle, do let us work for the good of all, especially those of the household of faith. Listen, this is your mission. This is your calling. So, you know, Christians, I don't know why we say, I just wonder what God wants me to do. You've got about a thousand pages of stuff. I know, but I'm looking for another book. No, this one. Does Piper have a book on that yet? No, this one. Right here, Paul has told you, work for the good of all. This is your mission, the calling on your life. And here's what we don't need to do right now with this verse. Is it's easy to read this verse and go, yeah, what's our church gonna do? What are the elders gonna organize for us? Nothing. You do it. You work for the good of all. This is always our temptation. Okay, what should the church do? How should we organize? What should we plan? No, you do it. You know, there's not a single whiteboard strategy session with the apostles in the book of Acts. It's the people led by the spirit out doing work by the spirit. You, as you have opportunity, work for the good of all. Be active, opportunistic, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, all, everyone. That's exactly what he says. For all, all races, all ethnicities, all demographics, Christians don't just center on helping people who are just like them. Paul gives us two groups, all and the household of faith. So we want to help all. We want to work for the good of all. And the ultimate good that we do want for all is sharing the gospel, seeing new birth and new life with Christ and forgiveness of sins. But that is not the only good. Adoption, fostering, medical needs, Harvey relief, pro-life causes, visiting the elderly. Did you know that on Sunday afternoons there's a group of people from Redeemer that go to a a home with the elderly and visit them, have a church service with them. We call it our South Campus, our fourth service. You could go. Visiting them, racial reconciliation, against being against police brutality, reading in the inner cities, underserved and underfunded schools. Christians work for the good of all. Because grace gatorades us forward. We don't grow weary. 
And that since you know the grace of God, Jesus working for your good, dying for your sins, rising again from the dead for you. Now his model, he is the model for your dying to self, dying to your schedule, dying to your plans for that bonus from work and giving for the good of others. I mean, just this past week, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC, along with the Gospel Coalition, hosted a conference on racial reconciliation and the life and work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis. It was powerful, and I so wish I could have been there. Because it's clear to me that our country and our churches still have a long way to go. And we are deceiving ourselves if we think otherwise. And it's clear that generations before mine didn't work hard enough toward racial reconciliation. But the next generation, you can and you must. So those of you who are younger than me in my age group than me, work hard toward racial reconciliation because other generations have failed. And we must confess the sins of our generations before us. And you can and you must work towards it. And don't listen to the people who cry, oh, that's just social gospel, liberalism, mumbo jumbo. They are wrong. Racial reconciliation is a fruit of the gospel. Right here in verse 10, we work for the good of all. So the church of the risen Israeli, as we have opportunity, we work for the good of all. If the good is missing, we want them to have it. And we do whatever we can so they can have it. And it was incredible. It was announced at the conference this past week at the MLK conference that a coalition of Christian colleges and seminaries all banded together and participated in a scholarship initiative for minority students in Memphis where MLK was assassinated. $1.5 million was raised for the scholarship fund that will allow Christian colleges and seminaries to invest in the educational future of minority students. $1.5 million. That's Christianity. Working for the good of all working for the good of these students who could not go to school, who show the academic aptitude and who have a heart for Christ, desiring seminary, desiring college, the funds are there. Because look at what Paul says. Work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. There's a priority too that we have in caring for one another. That's why we have a benevolence fund at Redeemer and the deacons oversee it. If you need help financially, it's here. You need help with bills. You've been in a rough patch. The body of Christ is here. And we're a household. I love that Paul says in verse 10, we belong to the household of faith. I love this phrase. It's not a church building, not a corporation, not a sorority, not a club, a household, a family. Beloved members of Redeemer, we are a household of faith. Jesus is our brother. We are brothers and sisters in him. We help one another because we're near one another, just like in a household. You know, my daughter, I don't have a lot of chores at our house. My wife does almost all of them. She's just amazing. But I do the dishes. That's my thing. Dishes and trash. And she does the trash sometimes too. But I do the dishes. (laughs) And Ivy helps me unload and we do it together. Why? Because we're a family. And when Natalie's doing laundry just the other day, she's like, hey, would you mind just throwing the towels from the washer into the dryer for me? I don't go, well, what's in it for me? No, we're a family, a household, so I help. And Oliver, my four-year-old, he helps unload the groceries. 
Kind of. Why? <laughs> because he's a part of the family. Because we're a household. In a house, people have no problem asking for help. It's expected. And people have no problem giving it. It's expected. It just happens. So Paul says the same thing should be true in the local church. Ask for help. Offer help. Small or big. Even like little things. I borrow tools from people all the time. I have none. And the ones I have are all rusty and I can't open them anymore. So I needed a tool the other day to, to do something, some, some bolts and stuff. And I didn't have the right thing. I was just trying to do all this. It wasn't working. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to Lowe's and go buy something. And my wife now, he goes, hey, you know, there's like, just in the neighborhood right next to us, there's three guys from church. I bet they have all the tools you need. Bingo. Texted the one who lives the closest. Hey, John, can I borrow this three-quarter inch, you know, wrench that you have? Uh, maybe, is what he said. <laughs> Pretty please. Okay, you can have it. So went over, got it, and it's in my truck now. Small. Borrow a tool. Household. You need to borrow a young back. Give a place to stay. To watch kids. Drive people to the doctor's office. We're a household of faith. When you are around other Christians, listen, you are around siblings, not strangers. And this is how we must view each other, serving and sacrificing and helping each other, working for the good, especially of those of the household of faith, not because of karma, but because this is the kingdom. Not because we're gonna get our back scratched at some point, but because we know Jesus's back was placed on that cross. And we died with him and we raised with him to new life so we sow to the spirit, not the flesh. If you've been sowing to the flesh, God is offering you an opportunity to repent, to confess, to find forgiveness and new life with Christ. Beloved, sow to the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Walk with Christ. And you will reap a harvest of radical grace very soon. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.